to our uh, Bible study. I want to say Happy Easter to everyone out there. Obviously, it's a little bittersweet on such a wonderful day that we celebrate uh, that we cannot be uh, together, but I'm sure you'll be uh, celebrating Christ's resurrection uh, with you and your family today. Uh, for those of you that know me, uh, you'll know that I'm not what's called a topical teacher. Uh, I don't teach on topics. I'm what's called a, an exegetical teacher, which is just a big word, which means that I take books of the Bible and I go through them chapter by chapter, uh, passage by passage, and verse by verse. But there are times when uh, circumstances warrant or I'll just feel inclined to stop what I'm doing going through a verse or, or through a, a, a particular uh, passage or a, a Bible book. And I'll stop and just do a particular topic. And that's what I'm going to do today. The title of our lesson is COVID-19 and the Resurrection. COVID-19 and the Resurrection. And, and you may wonder, well, what is it that caused you to stop and, and you're going through First Peter and just begin to teach on this? Well, you may think, well, is it because we're going through the pandemic? Is it because uh, today's Easter? It's actually neither one of those. It actually started um, about a week ago. Uh, let's see here. I'm stuck, Chuck. Oh, it's not going on here. Okay, sorry. All right. Try it again. A little bit of a... All right. Sorry. <laughs> okay, here we are. Let's try it one more time. Okay, there we go. I can't see it on here, Chuck, but I can see it up there. So, um, it, it all started about uh, a little over a week ago where... Um, I was going through some articles, just reading some articles online, and I ran across an article in Time magazine. And uh, it was by a New Testament scholar, a guy by the name of N.T. Wright. And the title of the article caught my attention. It said, Christianity offers no answers about the coronavirus. It's not uh, supposed to. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. I found the title of that article absolutely appalling. The idea that the Bible doesn't give us answers about tragedies or disasters or pandemics is just, that's not true at all. Um, now, I went ahead and read the article, and I'll, I'll give him some credit. The article was a little better. Uh, he made some good points about lamentation and, and grieving and things like that. But to say that the Bible and Christianity offers no answers about COVID-19 is just plain wrong, uh, in my opinion. Now... It's not going to answer every question, and, and to be quite honest, it may answer it in some ways that we don't like or we don't want to hear, but the Bible's got a lot to say about COVID-19. So I thought what I would do today is try to ask and answer a few of the questions um, that I've been hearing. Uh, one of the ones, of course, that we hear is, is why does COVID-19 uh, even uh, exist? Well, let me give you an answer, because it's God's will that it exists. Now, that's a, that's a very 10,000-foot answer. I, I, I'll give you that. But it is God's will. I want you to read some of these uh, 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 scriptures with me, if you will. 1 Timothy 6.15, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Psalms 115.3, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Uh, how about... Um, this one, uh, Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things 
and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Ephesians 1.11, talking about God who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Matthew 10.29, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And of course, Matthew 8.27, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey Him? Let me, let me tell you, folks, Jesus Christ has all knowledge and all authority and all power over all the natural and supernatural forces in this world and in this universe. He has complete power to restrain, and He has complete power to not restrain. The fact is, it is up to Him. Sin, Satan, uh, sabotage, you name it, natural forces, human forces, none of it is stronger than Jesus. He's never backed into a corner. He's, he's never at a loss for what to do. He's never up in heaven biting his nails. Well, how did this happen? That's not the God that I serve, and that's not the God that Scripture teaches us exists. Here's the second question that I've heard. Why would God create a, a universe, create a world, where evils like COVID-19 exist? Well, here's the answer to that one. He didn't. He didn't create a world like that. If you go home and open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1 and just begin to read through that first chapter, you'll see in verse 4 and verse 10, verses 12, 18, 21, and 25, that God looked at what He had made and He said, It is good. And in fact, you get to verse 31 and it says He, he looked at everything that He had made and behold, it was not just good, He said it was very good good. You see, that's the universe that God created. Now, you may say to me this morning, well, I don't believe that. I believe in evolution, or I believe in space aliens, or I believe in whatever it is that you believe, but you don't believe that. And if you say that, this is my answer to you, I would say, okay, that's your prerogative. But just so you know, when you say you don't believe that, you've just answered a little bit more of your first question which is why does COVID-19 exist? And you may say, what, wait, wait a minute, how, how did I just do that? Well, here's how you did it. I just presented you with a little bit of God's Word, and you rejected it. You see, the fact is, you just did exactly the same thing that Adam did in the Garden of Eden. Genesis three fifteen through 16, it says, The Lord took the man, and He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. You see, our first father, Adam, was created perfect. Without sin, he was unflawed. And, and, and to top it all off, listen, he's put in an environment that God himself labels as very good. And then God gives him a warning. He gives him his own word, God's word. And he tells him, he says this in verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And you see, Adam rejected God's word. He somehow thought that he knew better than God, and so he disobeyed. And that is what turned paradise into a nightmare. And let me tell you, that's the reason for COVID-19 and all the death and despair and misery that's in the world today. Romans 5.12 says it like this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, 
and death spread to all men because all sin. And it just wasn't death for men. It was also the corruption of the creation. Romans eight twenty to 22 says this, um, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. So not only was our bodies corrupted, the, 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 the creation itself, the world was corrupted. And COVID-19 and tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes and, and all of these things that we have to deal with are a result of that. You see, Adam was warned that disobeying God's Word would, be, would bring death, and he did it anyway. And when you and I reject God's Word, we're doing the exact same thing as Adam did. In fact, like it or not, that is the answer to the first question. All death is in the world because of God's righteous judgment for Adam's sin. And we are all born into this world just like our daddy, Adam. And each time we reject God's Word, we're just showing two things. Number one, we're showing the family likeness. We're showing that Adam's nature, our heritage from him, is still born into us. And of course, we're showing the justice of God's judgment. Now, here's a, here's a, a, a third question that I, that I want to uh, ask, or that I hear ask, and I want to answer this morning. Is COVID-19 a sign from God? And I want you to listen very closely to me here, because I think the Bible answers this very clearly. Is COVID-19 a sign from God? Well, I'm going to let Jesus himself answer this question. I'm not even going to try to answer. I'm just going to let him do it. In, in Luke 13, some men come to Jesus and they ask him a question. Now, you can understand, if Jesus was here today, I'm sure all of us would be asking him questions. What about this? What about that? I mean, because here, here you've got the God of the universe in human form, and we want to ask him questions. Well, some men knew that he was a great teacher and, and knew that he was a great rabbi, and so they came to him and they asked him something. We pick up the story in Luke 13, 1. It says, There were some, uh, some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, let, let me tell you, it is human nature... Then is now. I say this all the time in my Bible studies. Listen, human nature does not change. Times change. Culture changes. Technology changes. But human nature doesn't change. See, I think we often look back in history and we see people and think they weren't like us. They weren't in, as enlightened as us. They weren't as, as smart as us. They weren't as intelligent as us. Let me tell you, they were exactly like us. Exactly like us. And it is human nature then as now that whenever there's a tragedy, whenever there's a, a disaster, whenever there's something unusual like COVID-19 that happens, we all, we, we start looking for answers. We want explanations. And I, as I said, if Jesus was here this morning, we'd say, Jesus, what about this COVID-19? Why, why is this happening? Or, or we might have said, hey, did you hear uh, Jesus about the tsunami? that happened on Christmas Day, what was it, 2004, back in that, when it killed 200,000 people in Indonesia. Did you hear about the earthquake in Haiti? Did you hear about the, the plane that flew into the Twin Towers? Can you explain to us why those kind of things happen? See, that's, we, that's just human nature. It's not in our nature to accept those types of things as just chance. It, it's not in our nature to accept those types of things as just 
coincidence. We want an explanation, and we want to know why. So again, this is nothing new. Those people back then are exactly like us. And so they, they asked Jesus about a particular incident that happened in their day. You see, apparently there were some Galilean pilgrims, some Galilean Jews, who had came down from Galilee to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices in the, in the temple. And for some reason that we don't know, Pilate was suspicious of these Galileans. Maybe he thought they were zealots or rebels that, that were gonna, uh, coming to overthrow Rome or something like that. We don't, we don't know exactly what it was, but we know that he had reason to suspect these Galileans of some type of crime. And so while they're in the temple courtyard, while they're there actually doing their sacrifices, he sends Roman soldiers into the temple and they strike down those Galileans. They literally kill them in the act of sacrifice, mixing their blood with the blood of the goats or the lambs or whatever other sacrifices were being made. Now let me tell you, in that day, this would have been a horrific crime. This would have been something on the order of 9-11 was for us. You see, for these pagan Romans to go into the holy temple to defile and desecrate the temple, to defile and desecrate the Jewish worship, to defile and desecrate the sacrifice, would have been just outrageous. I mean, everybody would have known about this. Everybody would have been talking about it. So, so they, they, after it's over, they begin to wonder why. Now, I'm sure that they blame the Romans. But underlying that, there seems to be this idea from the men asking that question that somehow these Galileans may have brought it on themselves. Maybe they had done something so bad that they had it coming to them. They don't come right out and say that, but Jesus knows what they're thinking. See, in that day and time, there was this idea in theology that if something bad happened to it, you deserved it. You remember Jesus and the disciples walking out of the temple and they saw the man born blind? What did they say? If you'll remember, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, in other words, somebody did something bad. If this happened, see, that was very prevalent in their theology back then. And so they've got this idea that maybe these Galileans had it coming to them. This is Jesus' answer. Let's look at it in verse 2. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. See, this is Jesus' answer to that question. No, that's not why they ha this happened, not because they were worse than anybody else. And in fact, in order to make his point, Jesus brings up another tragedy. They didn't even ask about this when he just brings it up on his own. And this one's not a man-made tragedy. This is not one that you can blame on the Romans. This is one that we might call just a natural disaster. Look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus said this, he continues, Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? And Jesus' answer is no. No, they weren't. But unless you repent, 
you will all likewise perish. Now listen, what Jesus said, and I want us to listen very closely to his answer. His answer is this, no, their sin was not extraordinarily horrible, it was ordinarily horrible, just like yours and mine. See, we're always trying to, if that happened to them, uh, they must have done something extraordinarily bad. Jesus said, no, you're all sinners. All sin is horrible. There's not extraordinarily horrible. It's all ordinarily horrible. And unless you repent, you will also perish. Is COVID-19 a sign? Listen to me, folks. Yes. Absolutely, without a doubt, yes, it is a sign. It is a sign like the tsunamis. It is a sign like an earthquake. It's a sign like cancer and car wrecks and the Tower of Siloam. Every death whether it's one death or ten deaths or a thousand deaths, is a message and a sign and a warning. And this is what it says. You're going to die too. Are you ready? You're going to die too. Are you ready? That's the message. That's the message of COVID-19. That's the message of the Twin Towers. That's the message of every disaster, pandemic, tragedy. Wake up. Wake up. You're going to die too. Are you ready, Jesus said. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the fear of death. Death is a result of Adam's sin. And death comes to every man in a myriad, and every man and woman in a myriad of different ways. And COVID-19 is just one of those ways. So how do we react to this idea of our impending death? Well, one reaction, of course, is fear. And let me say to you, fear is a correct reaction if you are an unbeliever. You see, unbelievers should fear death. Hebrews 9.27 says this, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that comes judgment. In 1 John 4.8, it tells us that fear has to do with punishment. The fear of death has to do with the fear of punishment that's on the other side of death. So as an unbeliever... We should fear. That is an absolutely correct thing. Now, I want to talk about another article I read. Some of y'all may have seen this. Uh, uh, this happened a few weeks ago. The story came out uh, in Oregon about an older couple. They were in their 80s. And they went to the grocery store to buy groceries. And they were so scared. They were so terrified because they understood that this COVID-19 was was disproportionately affecting and killing older people. They were terrified to go inside. Couldn't get out of the car. And, and so this lady is walking by through the parking lot, and they roll down the window, and they call her over. And, and, and you can go Google this. It's all over the, all over the Internet. And they, they said, ma'am, we, we are, we're, we're, we're just terrified to go in because we're afraid we're going to die, going to get this pandemic. Can you... Can you take this $100 bill? And they gave her a list, and can you buy what's on this list? And she said, sure. And so she did. And they, somebody wrote an article about this. Now, I read that article, and that article captured me. It really did. I, I meditated on that article for, for a few days and thinking about what does that mean. And here's what I want you to see. Two months ago that couple would have walked in that grocery store without a second thought. And yet their death was just as certain two months ago as it is today. Are you with me? You see, two months from now, 
when hopefully COVID-19 is just a memory, they'll walk in that grocery store again without a second thought. And yet their death will be just as imminent then as it is today. You see, how can that be, folks? Each of our deaths is coming. It's imminent. It's absolutely certain. Yet even into their 80s, people will still go through life almost like this is just going to go on forever. How is it that when we know we're going to die, we just get up every day and just pretend this never going to happen? And we just go through life. We're not scared to get in the car. We're not scared to go to the grocery store. We're not scared to get on an airplane. We, don't, we just pretend it doesn't happen until something shakes us up. Until something wakes us up. How many of you, and I'm sure all of us have, been in a storm and, a, and lightning hits very close? And when I say very close, I mean very close. And you get that thunderclap. Everybody with me? And, and literally, it scares you to death, doesn't it? I mean, it, you're like, wow, that, that scared me to death. Let me tell you something, folks. COVID-19 is a thunderclap of mercy. It is a thunderclap of divine mercy to people like that 80-year-old couple. It, it's calling them out of their stupor. And it's saying, wake up. Wake up. Death is all around you. It's coming to you sooner or later. Jesus goes on. And and you go back and read 13. Jesus wants to make a point. Now remember, let's back up to verse 1. These men have come and said, Hey, what do you think about these Galileans whose blood was mingled with their sacrifice? And Jesus said, You think they're worse sinners? No, unless you repent, you're going to die in the same way. Or he says, How about those 18 on the Tower of Siloam that it fell on them? You think they were worse sinners? No. You're going to die the same way. or in the He don't mean it exactly the same way, but you're going to die. Now, in verse 6, Jesus doesn't stop. And a lot of people draw a line and they don't see anything related to verse 6 with verse 5. But Jesus is talking to the same people. And he told this parable, it says. And I want you to listen to what he said. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now... I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone one more year, and I'll dig around it, and I'll put on manure, and I'll fertilize it. And if it doesn't bear fruit this time next year, well and good, then we can cut it down. Let me tell you, as sinners, we should all be dead, but we're not. See, that is exactly what that little short parable Jesus is talking about right there. That's what he's teaching us. That unless we bear fruit of repentance, we are living on borrowed time. Death can take us in the womb. It can take us in a car. It can take us at work. It can take us at the home. We never know when the tower is going to fall on us. We never know when the virus is going to find us. The question is not, what kind of God lets this happen? No, the question is, what kind of God lets us live? That's the question. What kind of God is this that allows these rebels, these sinners, these people who spit in His face, what kind of God lets them live? See, none of us know when death is coming to our door. And every moment is owing to the mercy and the kindness and the goodness of God. Every moment we live is owing to that, and it's all meant to lead us to Him.
Over and over in Scripture, we're told God's goodness, God's kindness, God's mercy, God's patience has a purpose. Romans 2.4 says this, do you, do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So the good times is meant to lead you to repentance. The thunderclap of, of the Twin Towers or the, the tsunamis or the earthquakes or the hurricanes or COVID-19 is meant to lead you to repentance. It's a sign. Wake up. Wake out of your stupor. Let me tell you, borrowed time is not permanent. God's patience is not permanent. Th- those points are so easy to understand in that little parable. In fact, they're absolutely unmistakable. God's Spirit will not strive with you forever. Eventually, if you don't bear fruits of repentance, you will be cut down. Are you ready? Are you ready? Now, I want to close with this, because today is Easter. And let me tell you, His resurrection changes everything. We stand here this morning and it's Easter and, and, you know, I was thinking, you know, we have one day a year that we call Easter, but the fact is, is that we worship on Sunday, the first day of the week, because that's the day He rose. Every Sunday, every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. Every day should be a celebration of, I have, I have eternal life in me because He rose out of that grave. Every day, every moment should be a celebration of the resurrection. And let me tell you, His resurrection changes everything. It it is impossible to stand here this morning and overstate the importance of the resurrection. It's impossible. I I couldn't spend enough time on it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and 19, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. There's things I don't really understand to be quite honest with. Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross for our sins. But the Bible tells us if, we, if He had not been raised out of that ground, we'd still be in our sins. Our faith would be absolutely futile. Um, listen to... Uh, some, I want to give you four things this morning that this, the resurrection did. By the way, there's, there's many more than four. I could probably go to 20 or 30, but I just picked four things that the resurrection does for us. Number one, it enables our salvation. Romans 10, 9 says this, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, now listen, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I've literally seen people stand up and say, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I would say, then you're not a Christian. You cannot be saved. You cannot be regenerated. You cannot be born again if you do not believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's what Paul said in Romans 10, 9. And as I said earlier, there's something about this resurrection. Romans 4, 23 to 25, he's talking about Abraham and how faith was accounted to Abraham. And Paul says this, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his, talking about Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. Because it, talking about faith, will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, now here we go, and was raised for our justification. We stand innocent before God because Jesus was raised from the dead. It is, it's an unbelievable... You cannot overstate the importance of the resurrection. The second thing that it does for us is it frees us from slavery. Slavery to sin, slavery to death, and slavery to 
Satan. Two scriptures here, Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver us all, who through, or deliver all who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Romans 6, 17 to 18 says this, But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have now become slaves of righteousness. That's the resurrection. That's what it did for us. The third thing it did is the resurrection ensures our resurrection. His resurrection ensures our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Paul says this, but, in Christ, but if, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We don't live today, we live in a very technological society. Most of us get our food, we don't grow gardens, we go to Winn-Dixie or Publix or, or Costco or something and buy our food. But remember, they lived in an agrarian society. Everybody understood the basics of farming. People raised their own food back then. And so when, when, when Paul uses the word first fruits, they would have understood that term. You see, the first fruits of a crop were the first elements of the crop to come in. When the first fruits came, you knew there was more to follow. It was a sign, if you will, of the harvest to come. Let me tell you, Jesus is not the first fruits of the resurrection because he was the first to rise from the dead. That's not what Paul is saying. In fact, Jesus is not the first to rise from the dead. Elijah raised the son of the Zarephath widow in 1 Kings 17. Elisha raised the son of the Shumanite woman in 2 Kings 4. There was the man who touched Elisha's bones in, uh, in 2 Kings uh, 13. Jesus himself, that we know of, raised at least three people that's documented in the Gospels, the son of the widow of Nain in Luke 7, the daughter of Jairus in Luke 8, and of course Lazarus in, in John 11. So the fact is, Jesus is not the first to rise from the dead. That's not why he's called the first fruits. He's called the first fruits because his resurrection was different. You see, Jesus is the first to, to rise and never die again. You see, the, the son of the Shumanite woman went on and died. Lazarus went on and died. The, 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 the son of the widow of Nain went on and died. Jesus never died again and never will die again. You see, fact is, he's the very first to rise again and never die. He is the first fruits. Uh, he's a sign of the harvest to come of all the people like him who will rise again to never die. That's you and I. That's believers. Number four... The fourth thing that he did for us. Or let me ask this question. And I think this is a perfectly valid question. How is it that Jesus Christ's resurrection guarantees my resurrection? See, sometimes we don't think to ask those questions, but I like to ask them. How is it? Yes, he rose from the dead, but how does that guarantee that I will rise from the dead? This is Paul's answer. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22. For as by one man came death... By a man comes also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul is wanting to show how Jesus' resurrection affects all of us. And to do that, he goes back to Adam as an illustration. And one man's sin. He, he says, look, through the sin of one man, death entered the whole world. 
Through the sin of one man, death came to the whole human race. It passed down to every one of his descendants. Right? Therefore, death has come to everybody because of one man. We talked about that earlier. Like it or not, when it comes to sin, Adam is our federal head. Adam is our representative. We are guilty in a sense just because we belong to him. May not like that, but that's what the Bible teaches. Now, here's the good news. Paul says this, For by one man came death, by one man comes the resurrection of the dead. By, by one man all die, by one man all can live. You see, our unity with Adam brings death. Our unity with Jesus Christ brings life. In Christ all can live. We, we started out a, a few weeks ago talking about the believer's privileges in 1 Peter. And the first privilege we have is unity. Christ in us, us in Christ. Because we have His life, His life is in us, we can never die. We will live eternally. And that brings us to the fourth point. We're all we've at least got time for this morning about the resurrection. It changes death. It changes death. In John eight fifty one, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, I'm telling you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, that's some unusual language. Because let's be honest, everyone dies. Everyone still dies. Kings, paupers, the great, the least, the believers and unbelievers, we've all been to Christian funerals. And, and we've looked in the casket and there's that believer, there's that child of God, there's that person that we know walked worthy of their calling and they're laying in that casket. You know, so the question is, well, did they die or did they not? In fact, listen to this language. Jesus in John eleven twenty five to 26, this is the story of Lazarus and the resurrection and we all, we all know that story and, and, and Martha runs out to, to Jesus and and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And, and Jesus said this to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. Do you see what he just said? Though he die, he shall never die. Though he dies, he shall never die. What's he talking about? Well, the key to understanding this scripture is to understand that there are always two deaths spoken of in the Bible. Revelations 20, 11 through 15 says this, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And they were judged, each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into that same lake of fire. You see, that is the second death. Here's what I want you to see this morning. For believers and unbelievers, death is a completely different experience. For the unbelievers, it is a gateway to punishment. It is a door they're walking through, and on the other side of the door, there's another death called the lake of fire. It is a horrible, terrible thing to contemplate and to think about. But for believers, death's not like that at all. 
Listen to, to John 5, 24. Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, has, that means today, right now, eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has already passed from death to life. You see, the fact is, believers have already, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and His life is in you, you've already passed from death to life. You already have eternal life in you right now. You are living the eternal life. By definition, eternal life cannot end. Eternal life, does everybody understand? Eternal life doesn't start the day you die. Eternal life started the day you were born again. That's when you started living the eternal life. Death is just a gateway. It's just a passage into eternity. I want you to listen to the words of Charles Spurgeon. He said this, Oh, my hearers, if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus, death will be a penal infliction to you or a punishment. But death has changed in its nature in the case of a believer in Jesus. Our death is a falling asleep, not a going to execution. It is a departure out of the world under the Father, not a being driven away or not being driven away in wrath. That which was a cavern leading to blackness and darkness forever has by the resurrection of our Lord been made into an open tunnel which serves as a passage into eternal glory. It has become a stairway from the grace life below to the glory life above. Let me tell you, our bodies, this old flesh can die, but me, inside of me, I'll never die. Nothing will change. I'll just in the blink of an eye I'll be with my Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the eternal life that we have today because of the new birth will never end. There can be no end of it. I love that. The world desperately, desperately needs today to see believers who are walking with courage, not cowering in a car, but are walking with courage, not afraid of death, not afraid because there's, there's something on the other side that we're looking forward to. We know we'll never taste that second death. And the question is, how can I be one of those? Well, it's pretty simple. Believe the promise. Believe the promise. Believe that when Jesus says you'll never see death, you literally will never see death. You can believe that because God Himself has spoken it. His Word never fails. Isaiah 46.10, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purposes. Let me tell you, that's what it means to be God. You speak it, and it is. God speaks it, and it is. And when He tells me, Derek, you'll never die. You'll never see that punishment. You'll never see that second death. You'll just come into my glory. You'll just come into eternity with me in the blink of an eye. I believe that. I believe that because He said it. A couple of final thoughts, very short, and we'll close. S.M. Lockridge has a sermon and I know a lot of people have been posting this this week. S.M. Lockridge, of course, is the, uh, the guy that we uh, do the video, That's My King. Do you know him? You know, I can't talk like him. I wish I could. But he, he preached another sermon uh, basically called It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. This is what he said. It's Friday. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark. My king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death is won. Sin is conquered. And Satan is just a laughing. It's Friday, Jesus is buried, a soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place. It's Friday, but it's only Friday. Sunday is a coming. 
Or, or if you prefer, if you're of the younger generation, and, 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 and I'm putting myself in that, um, there was a guy by the name of Carmen years ago, 1983. I was 20 years old. He had a song uh, called Friday's, It's Friday But Sunday's Coming, something like this. And it was a little more, wasn't quite as dignified. And I just picked out a part of it that I always like. It said the stone was rolled away, it bounced a time or two, and an angel stood inside and said, I'm Gabriel, who are you? If you're wondering where the Lord is at this very hour, I tell you, He's alive and well with resurrection power. On Friday night, they crucified the Lord at Calvary, but He said, don't dread, three days later, I'll live again, you'll see. When problems try to bury you, make it hard to pray. It may seem like Friday night, but Sunday's on the way. Let me tell you guys, there are times in this world, like right now, when it seems like Friday night. Cancer, car wrecks, COVID-19. We could just go down the list. But let me tell you, Sunday's on the way. Why? Because His resurrection changes everything. His resurrection changes everything. We're, we're not here together the way we want to be. Things have changed for us. And, but let me tell you, his, nothing has changed with God. God is not self-isolating. God is not in quarantine. God is wherever you are. And, and if you're a believer, His resurrection power lives inside of you. They cannot take that away. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away from you. COVID-19 didn't give it, and it cannot take it away from you. His resurrection changes everything. Hey, next week we'll get back to our study in 1 Peter. I hope everybody will join us. The title of our lesson will be The Pilgrim Life. And believe it or not, it has a lot to do with what we talked about here today. Are you living your life like a pilgrim? Or are you living your life just like another citizen of this world? Let's pray. Father, as always, thank you for your word. But this morning, I want to thank you for more than that. I want to thank you for your resurrection. I want to thank you, Lord, that that grave could not hold you. I want to thank you that that your resurrection power, the same power that raised you from the grave, lives inside of me. And because of that, I will never die. I will never die. What's in this old flesh will, will, will fade away. But Derek, the real me, will never die because I'm unified with you. I'm in you and you're in me. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you that you changed death, that I don't have to live in fear, but I can live with expectation of what's going to come. Lord, you are so good and so kind to us. If there's anybody listening today, Lord, that doesn't know you, anybody out there that doesn't know you, that comes across this on the Internet, God, somehow, some way, Holy Spirit, do what you do. Open their eyes. Give them ears to hear. Give them a heart to see. Let them come to know you as I do in your resurrection power. We ask it all in your precious name. Amen.